loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Paria Hasori, MD. Paria is the author of Found in Transition, a mother's evolution during her child's gender change. A pediatrician, mother of three, and transgender rights activist, her essays have been published in the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, Huffington Post, and Women's Running Magazine. She lives in Los Angeles, and you can find her at pariahasori.com. It's P-A-R-I-A-H-A-S-S-O-U-R-I.com. Welcome, Paria. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I, I... It was a very emotional experience to read your book um, because it it connected with this process of coming out to families and what um, the adjustments it takes to come to understand each other. And I thought you captured that so, so well. So thank you for the book. Uh, I'm glad to hear um, that you sort of felt my uh, emotions and that you appreciated uh, my process. So um, glad to hear that. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's often very hard. You know, um, I was telling you before we went on air that I that I came out when I was very young. I was 17. I think I came out to my parents when I was maybe 19. So we're talking about maybe 1972. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, that was out of the blue at that point. <laughs> Not mm-hmm. that many people were were coming out to their parents right. in my age group, but uh, or anywhere for that matter. But uh, I recognize the elements in your book of trying to incorporate a picture of your child that you had no preparation for, and that for the parent, for me. It was a great relief to figure out what was going on with me, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and it was a joyful thing, mm-hmm. but also scary. And there were losses for my parents. At first, it was entirely a loss. And yes. I wondered if that's uh, if that was true for you as well. Yeah, for me, it was definitely initially felt like a huge loss. I, I mean, Actually, that my very first reactions, you know, were more anger and denial than than grief and loss. But then, <laughs> you know, then I get to grief, uh, grief and loss. And I think, you know, one of the things um, I feel as a parent of a trans child, you know, I feel like I I sense that we're not allowed to talk about grief um, as if, you know, we shouldn't, uh, you know, we're not losing a child. Our child is just not, you know, what we thought. Um, and so, therefore, you sometimes you almost feel criticized for feeling grief. Mm. And, you know, the feedback I've gotten from so many parents who've read this book 
is, you know, just thank you for like showing the full array of emotions that we go through, you know, during this process. Um, and, you know, just so many parents feel like, you know, it's not okay to say that they feel a sense of, you know, loss and, and grief. And I think, you know, that sense of loss and grief can simultaneously coexist with supporting your child. Um, and, you know, if we just allow parents to sort of own and feel it, maybe they would even move through the process faster or, or better, you know? I think so, that's true of grief in general, you know, which yes. is kind of my wheelhouse here that uh, people who, who accept their grief move through their grief uh, better and quicker in general. Mm -hmm. So uh, one, one, uh, one thing I'd like to begin with, you know, th that's sort of the background, but mm -hmm. um, I was, I have a child who's very creative, uh, I imagine, like your daughter, and mm -hmm. um, very, very much herself. And every time we left town, when she was little, something would go wrong. <laughs> you know? yes. Yes. she actually we had to take her out of school when i was in china you know things mm -hmm. like that so yeah. could you talk about just the what was happening when uh when ava first when you first became aware of this and right. and the kind of impact of that of that experience right well, it's, yeah, it's interesting. So my husband and I had um, gone on a yoga retreat um, in Thailand, and we hadn't taken a trip without our kids in years. So it wasn't, you know, at that point, it wasn't like we were regularly traveling without, without our kids. Um, and um, while we were in Thailand, you, you know, I got a phone call from her school, and she had confided in a teacher that um, she thought that she was a girl and that she didn't know how to tell us and um, thinking about telling her us was bringing her so much distress that that she was harming herself and so yeah I mean it was like wait the one time we choose to travel and we're really almost inaccessible <laughs> is yes. the time that she you know decides to confide in a teacher and i don't know whether that was like that's she felt safer because we were so far away or if that's just coincidence that that's when it came out you know i actually haven't really talked to her about why she chose that time to confide in her teacher it might mm. actually be an interesting conversation to go back and have with her um but yeah and so you know we were so far away we were on this remote island where it was not going to be easy to come back and my parents were staying with her and you know when i first found out in thailand i was really upset but i wasn't upset because i thought that she's trans because i thought that the chance that she was trans was less than one percent i was just upset that she was she was so lost and confused that she was resorting to self-harm which was something completely uh, out of the ordinary you know for her she had had bouts of being like depressed and feeling lost and and verbalizing depression before but never ever ever had we ever thought that she might harm herself in any way and so um you know that's what i was upset about i really 
thought that the chance was that she was actually trans was less than one percent. And that's interesting because as informed as I am, because I've I've done a lot of presenting on on LGBTQ plus issues, I'm lesbian myself, which is mm-hmm. not, of course, at all the same as as being transgender, but I have read a lot and it was actually new to me that that 50%, you say in your book, 50% mm-hmm. of um, people who are transgender uh, become fully aware of that more in your daughter's age group, um, like early teens. I had no idea about that because right. it's not something that people talk about. They talk about knowing since the time you're three. And was that part of your skepticism? That was absolutely the reason I was uh, skeptical. Everything I thought I knew about trans was that there are signs starting at three, four, you know, five years old at the latest. And so to have a 13 and a half year old who um, has always presented like a boy and looks very boy and never expressed any interest in anything that we traditionally associate with you know, female and your, you know, gender, um, you know, sit and tell me, uh, oh, I'm, I'm a girl, um, was, was the reason that I thought that the chance was less than, than 1%. And, and not only did she say that, you know, it wasn't just that she said, you know, I'm, I'm a girl, you know, if I, I asked her, have you always known and not told us? And if she had said, I've always known, but not told you, I would have been more likely to believe it. But she said, no, I haven't always known. I've kind of come to this realization in the last six months to a year, really six months. But, um, you know, she had started questioning her sexuality maybe a year, year and a half before, and then started uh, questioning her gender six months before she came out. So, So the combination of no signs before and saying, it wasn't something I hid from you for all these years. I just came to this realization myself in the last six months. You know, I thought, oh, well, then this is this. There's no way she's just a confused, depressed teenager who's looking for something to and somewhere to belong. And and how uh, how lost and confused is she that this is what she's resorting to as mm. you know finding the place to belong and and therefore if this is what she's resorting to how terrible of a mother am i you know that that this is what she would um sort of turn to as a as um a way to find a place to belong so um yeah and i mean you've got yourself kind of coming and going on that because there's a there's another aspect of the book where you're talking about if it when you realize she actually is trans then you have to say what kind of kind of mother am i that i didn't know or you know (laughs) we always kind of do that to ourselves i think uh you know i should have whatever (laughs) right is that like in every scenario i was a bad mom so (laughs) there was scenario one was she was actually trans and i had no clue about my child's gender identity and therefore didn't know my child at all. So that made me a bad mother. Scenario number two was that she wasn't trans, but she was so lost, confused, attention-seeking, depressed that this was what she was resorting to, in which case, again, I'm a bad mother, you know? And so it became so much about my identity and 
as my identity and validity as a mother, let alone a pediatrician, but really as a mother, you know, primarily, um, more so than what's actually going on, you know, with my child. And I, I was definitely stuck in that phase for, for a while. Yeah, that's, that's familiar to me from, from my coming out, um, where, uh, my, my dad kind of got on board pretty quickly and apparently went through a lot of struggle inside, but I never, he never shared it. Mm -hmm. My mother, on the other hand, cried and cried and cried and cried, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I, and I want to say out loud, they were amazing and they, they moved past that period as you have, mm -hmm. um, but I think that was probably a big, a big part of it uh, was just the sense of, of failure. Yes. I guess I'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, maybe you can share a little bit from the book. So, because I think you have captured your own grief so mm -hmm. poignantly, and I'd love for people to hear the words of the book. Oh, sure. Um Let's see. Um, let me. Uh, so there's, um, I guess, on page ninety-two in the book, um, there's a part where uh, we had just had a little New Year's Eve gathering with a few friends, and I had decided that, um, given that the next day was New Year's Day, that I was going to start the next year fresh and I was going to sit up and cry my eyes out and start fresh the next day. So um, this is uh, New Year's Eve uh, and it's on page 92. That night, once everyone left, I decided I was going to stay up and cry my eyes out and get it all out of my system for 2018. Everyone went up to bed. I'll be up in a little bit. You go to sleep. I told Babak and headed to the family room couch. I cried for I don't know how long, and maybe an hour, maybe two. I bawled and heaved until my eyes were dry, my body exhausted. I waited to see if another wave of tears would come, and when it didn't, I told myself it was time to accept and move on, and I headed up to bed. Earlier that day, I had posted a picture of myself running on the beach in Thailand on my Instagram feed and written, there is no question that 2017 has been the year that the rug was pulled out from under my feet, the year that I've shed a record amount of tears, but it's also the year that showed me that I'm strong enough to find a new rug to walk on, and that if I don't, if that doesn't work, I'll just figure out a way to fly. It's the year when there were plenty of occasions for laughter through tears with the people who matter the most. Grateful for my husband, parents, sisters, and friends who have been with me through every step of the last year, and for running for being my therapist. And all of that was true. There were still many tears in 2018, although I'm not sure I had any heaving, breaking down, sobbing, mo sobbing moments after that night. Most of the time, when I'm in the car alone, I get tearful. I know there will come a time when I don't. I once commented on something my friend Jessica had posted about grief never ending. And I said that grief came in waves for me, that initially I was getting pummeled by waves, but now every once in a while, a wave comes out of nowhere and just crashes over me. It's happening less often now, but I suspect that it will always continue and I'll never really know or be prepared for what is going to make a wave. Hmm. I was very, very 
of course that that's so familiar to me just from um thinking talking and immersing myself in in grief <laughs> with mm -hmm. people you know every day of my life but um it it leads me to to remembering some of the losses you describe in the book which are not are very individual are very unique to you which of mm -hmm. course is true of every grief right a particular person dies let's say and um you miss particular things about them it's not some general categorical thing um and a few things that stood out was um your your attachment to her birth name or um you know the name you gave her mm -hmm. and the difficulty letting go of that and how how culturally significant that was for you and your husband that 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 was a meaningful name because it connected to generations and and ways of thinking and ways of being that really caught my attention as of course something that would be um be hard and it was interesting to me that you and your daughter ended up being able to negotiate on that because that isn't um always true um, right you know that that the the person who's coming out is willing to do that so can you talk a bit about that process between all of you yeah i think then you know so the whole the na birth name you know which is a term that i use but it, you know the trans community generally refers to it as your dead name um and you know for me this is uh you know, I say, well, you know, we say that the person hasn't died, so why do we call it their dead name, you know? So I think, for me, I like to think of it as the name, you know, that she was given at birth in, instead of the dead name, but but the trans community, you know, calls it the dead name. But, you know, I had, I'm an uh, Iranian-American immigrant, and, you know, in Iranian culture, all names have a meaning, and, you know, and in most Iranian families, um, the names, they either rhyme or they s start with the same letter. And, you know, I'd sort of struggled all my life just with identity for myself as an Iranian American immigrant and, and this battle of, you know, am I Iranian? Am I American? Trying to hold on to my Iranian, you know, identity. I mean, that's a whole, you know, another, uh, <laughs> that's topic. another show, isn't it? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but, you know, so, I gave, you know, I decided to give all my kids names that had a significant meeting for me and that were also, you know, Iranian or Middle Eastern, you know, names. So when she wanted to um, change her name and initially she had wanted a different name, she had wanted the name Lucy. And I just felt, you know, not zero connection to the name Lu Lucy. Um, and it wasn't just that you know, that I didn't feel any connection to to that name. It was also that I felt like she would stand out from my other two children whose names are Arman and Shada. And I just felt like, well, you know, if I introduce my three kids to somebody five years from now, 10 years from now, you know, somebody who, who doesn't know you guys, and I say, here are my kids, Arman, Lucy, and Shada, like your name will stand out. And you know, you're not leaving our family. We're, you know, you're just, 
you know, your gender identity is, is, is different now. And so that was a really, we spent a lot of time negotiating the name and, you know, so finally came up with the name Ava because in, in Farsi, we have the name Ava, which means a sort of a beautiful, uh, and dominant voice. Um, and so we ended up negotiating on that name because she did want an, a name that was more American. And so we kind of came up with a list of names that were Iranian American and, and then compromised on this one. So yeah, the name was, and I think once we agreed on the name, you know, we started moving on <laughs> because we were stuck there for, for a while. But a lot of trans kids, um, do trans kids young you know certainly if they're young adults do end up uh you know picking their own name and um and 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 going with that and not necessarily negotiating the name with it with their parents it's about time for a break but i i perceive that as so metaphoric that uh you were working very hard very very hard to find a loving way to to navigate everything but together <laughs> and the fact that you ended up picking that name together seemed very meaningful to me i don't know if you experienced it that way but it did stand out uh maybe we'll come back to that for a minute after the break okay listeners you'll find links to my website and social media at the good grief page at voice america and you can Find me on Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. To find Paria Hasori, go to www.pariahasori.com. P-A-R-I-A-H-A-S-S-O-U-R-I.com. Back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. 
To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Paria Hasuri about her daughter's evolution and her own and her book, Found in Transition. And, uh, you know, this, uh, this uh, we were talking before the break about her name and how you all work together to find a name that worked for her and for your family and for your broader community. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can imagine that would have had uh, yes, there's something about meeting a stranger and her name doesn't quite fit with the rest, but I could imagine that it would also be an impact on your your extended family, your you know that that identity is so important in um, particularly to me in in communities that, have been marginalized like immigrant communities and, Mm -hmm. you know, and that that would be especially important to feel that everyone could kind of resonate with her now as part of their broader family. Was that, um, was that true? You know, what, did you feel it would be important for everyone else as well? Yes, I really did. I mean, I think, you know, my, her grandparents on both sides you know, they have very thick accents, very thick accents when they speak English. And, you know, it's just, we're a very close knit, you know, family. And it just, you know, so for me, you know, keeping a name that was was culturally appropriate was sort of felt like keeping the family together rather than Mm -hmm. letting this sort of, you know, break our family, you know, apart. I mean, not, it wouldn't have obviously breaking our, broken our family apart, but it just, you know, it just felt um, like it was just, you know, appropriate to that. And and it, it's interesting because, you know, we call her, you know, my husband and I call her Ava and all her friends call her Ava because that's what she, you know, prefers. But my mom insists on pronouncing it Ava because, <laughs> you know, that's the Farsi pronunciation and, and she's, you know, and, and she's not thrilled about it when my, you know, when my mom calls her Ava, but I actually myself prefer the pronunciation Ava <laughs> as well, but I, you know, I, you know, I feel she has compromised enough. And so, you know, and now I've been calling her, you know, Ava for long enough that that just, you know, fits, you know, and is so appropriate. And I just think, you know, the the meaning of the Ava being like a beautiful, strong voice and is so fitting for her one, because she, she sings and she has an incredibly deep, but beautiful, you know, voice. Um, and also just because, you know, she's so, um, loud and proud and sure of who she is and you know she is she makes sure that she is heard you know so i just think it really just this, fits all this, around this particular part of her life uh is an incredible example of that isn't it to yes. have been willing to to face up to everybody's upset and you know to to have figured out very early on who she is yes it's impressive uh, it seems like a good time to share that little excerpt about you celebrating her, oh, yeah. her, um, her name. 
could you yes. sure so um this is on page 129 in the book and we had kind of decided on her name together like finally while we were at lunch um and so uh this is page 129 it says on march 8th 2018 over burrata pizza and cacio pepe at italy she became ava we drank a toast to her new name from that moment i started using the name ava and she her pronouns to go with it one day later i wrote in my journal that i missed her old name already i missed writing it and say, saying it she would remain hiding in school and with people who didn't know for a while longer and so when I had a chance to still say her old name in those contexts, I enjoyed hearing it come out of my mouth, pausing to relish the sound of it, and also felt conflicted. I fantasized about going to the shower and turning the water on full blast and screaming it, but I didn't do it. When I had to write her legal name on a form, I'd slow down my pen and watch my hand form the name Eileen letter by letter. When I called my mom to tell her that we had settled on the name Ava, she called out to my dad and said, you finally got the name Ava. You didn't get it for your daughters, but now you have it for your granddaughter. That made me happy. Yeah, so my, my father had, had wanted to name my youngest sister Ava, and my mom had vetoed that. So <laughs> <laughs> you went out in the end. Yes. Huh? I was, yes. I was, I have to say, deeply impressed by the broader community of family and friends that you slowly shared this this transition with because i would say that you got a very deeply supportive response yes compared with of course um stories i'm exposed to all the time of you know, people being excommunicated from their families because of a, uh, of a realizing they're transgender or gay or lesbian or bisexual, you know, or um, things never being comfortable again, or people not able to talk about it, or that just doesn't seem to have been your experience. Yeah, I think, um, you know, but I, there was never a question about whether my friends or sisters um, or sister-in-law and brother-in-law would ha would have an issue. I mean, I think we live in Los Angeles, so we're we're fortunate, you know, in that we're sort you know with a very you know generally there's a sort of diverse accepting community in Los Angeles, and um, so I never worried that it would be an issue for my friends um and i you know i told my sisters from the very beginning uh i was more worried about my parents and particularly my mom and she really she didn't miss a beat which surprised me uh, i think you know she didn't i think like me she thought okay this is probably a phase and not real but she but her reaction wasn't like oh this is horrible and this is terrible it, it was just like we're going to support you and and help you figure this out um so and i think so you know in terms of extended relatives i'm not sure if there may have been some behind the thing scene things you know with aunts and uncles that I don't know about. Um, I never, you know, they don't live anywhere close to me. A lot of my extended families is still in Iran. And, you know, my mom regularly communicates with them. Um, so, 
whether or not, you know, when they found out and how they reacted. You know, I never really asked my mom and we never really talked about it, but but certainly subsequently, you know, my aunts, you know, they'll see a picture of us, you know, on Facebook and put a bunch of heart emojis and, you know, things like that. So, <laughs> so clearly, you know, they're, you know, showing, showing their support. Um, uh, you know, there was, there was an incident where you know, my mother-in-law sent me an article, which really upset me. And, um, you know, I did include that in the book. Um, and, um, so that that was a little bit uh, difficult, but um, it, it's also I think harder because my you know my parents live close to us, so they were seeing her regularly. My in laws live you know across the country and in, in, in Philadelphia, so they weren't seeing her every day. So they did have a little bit of a harder time. They had um, to but, catch up. Yeah, yeah, they had yeah. to catch up, and it, and it's hard when you're not there you know every day seeing what's going on. One one thing from my life that that was brought about by I was thinking about because of uh, as I was reading the book is that <clears throat> I came out to my parents. They came out to the relatives they thought would be accepting, mm -hmm. but my two aunts are uh, very conservative. One of them has since died. The other one is still very conservative, mm -hmm. and they didn't tell them. And then when I had my first child, they felt they had to tell them uh about the fact that i was a, this is so ironic that i was a lesbian because otherwise i would have had a child uh out of wedlock mm -hmm. and they were ultra christian conservative mm -hmm. but that meant that on the day my daughter was born they called joyful that they were grandparents it was their first grandchild and they did not get a good response because oh. they had lumped it all together. I felt yeah. so bad for them. I, I, I had thought, ooh, I think you ought to tell them before you tell them about the baby, you know. Mm -hmm. But they, they hadn't wanted to do that, and um, so it made me think about the fact that they actually could uh, keep that information to themselves. You know, I didn't appreciably change how I looked or anything. You know. Um, yeah. I just came out and that that would be very, very difficult to do for a transgender person right. um, without sort of conducting two identities in in some way. And right. you don't get that option, really. Right. You. Yeah. I mean, when you're you know, when you're changing how you present to the world and, and your name and your pronouns and right, you don't really get the option to not come out. Um, you know, it, it, so you, you're either coming out to everyone or you're, you, you're staying in the, in the closet, you know? So, uh, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously there's an interim period for a lot of people where they're just, you know, out, you know, at home, but you know, on the outside are still as still presenting as the gender they were assigned at birth based on sex. But, you know, for most people that ends up being an interim period before they come out um, to yes. everyone. So, and, and of course now with social media and everything, it's also, it's also harder to keep right. certain secrets, <laughs> you know, <laughs> unless you just like any, unless yes. you don't engage. <laughs> yeah. Unless you don't engage or you, you know, go, go back, you know, I would have had to go back and you know, block a lot of people from seeing my posts. And I just wasn't going to do that because at, at no point did I have any shame about it. It was more that I was, you know, in grief and not sure if it's real, but I wasn't um, at any point ashamed of, of what was happening, you know, so. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, you know, I, th I think of, I often think of the fact that uh, one thing we lose when we lose anything is the picture we had of what was. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that sort of laced through your book. Yeah. Uh, you had a certain idea of who your kid was, don't we all, you know, yeah. and um, a certain expectation of how life would go. And you had considered that, it, it sounds to me like you had considered that their partner choice, their their sexuality, mm -hmm. uh, you didn't know what that was until they got old enough to figure that out for right. themselves. So you were prepared for that. It, it feels like yes um, it's the things we aren't prepared for that completely change our picture that kind of throw us for a loop yes, yes. <laughs> is that yes. fair to say yes and you know it's very hard when you you've never even considered this as a remote possibility and you know to see your child as what you know one gender for for as long as you've known them and then you know for for overnight for that to change it's 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 very very difficult. I actually have a nephew who's transgender, and when he came out, it's a very open, affirming. It's my uh, on my wife's side of the family, um, very open-minded, etc. And everyone to a person said, "That's the last person that we would have thought." Mm -hmm. Uh, so I have some personal experience with the fact that you don't you don't know until you know, right. and um, it's and now I can see he's so himself in a way he never was, mm -hmm. but um, it was not it was not clear to anybody beforehand. We were all kind of bemused. Wow, miss that, you know? Yeah. So I I really relate to. Um, missing it you know not not seeing that until the person themselves has has incorporated it yes when we get back what i'd really like to talk about uh is it's it's laced a bit through this but one thing that stood out in your book was the things that changed in you mm -hmm. um the ways in which you had to kind of um, re review your own life and figure out where you stood about things with yourself and the gains you made there. That's so uh, intrinsic to this show. You know what comes out of loss, not just uh, how do we how do we live through loss, but what comes out of it. So let's talk about that when we get back. Okay, listeners, you can go to my website weatheringgrief.com and to find Paria Hasuri, go to pariahasuriga.com. Back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. 
Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Paria Hasuri talking about her book. Found in transition, and in this final third of our time together here, Paria, I really would like to talk about uh, your transition because it seemed to me that, as with many deeply experienced griefs, um, there's there's gains. We we wouldn't go through the pain again if we got a choice, but um, we would keep the gains. And I wonder if you could talk a bit about what changed, from your own view, what changed in you, what, what's different for you now as a person after having navigated this experience? Yeah, I mean, I think there's so much that's different for me. Obviously, the, the sort of biggest, most overriding thing would be um, that... I, you know, I start out the book um, sort of praying and saying that I hope uh, that one day I will look at her and see her as my daughter and not, you know, as my son um, who I lost and is now my daughter, but really, you know, truly see her in my heart and my brain as my daughter. And, you know, when this started, I didn't think that that day would, would ever come or that I would ever get there. And I most definitely absolutely got you got there you know i i look at her and i see my daughter i don't see the son you know the person who used to be my son and is my daughter i don't see my transgender daughter i just see my daughter and i think so that is obviously the biggest evolution and it just tells me that you know you should never uh, never underestimate your capacity to evolve and and grow and having gone through that you know I almost now feel like anything is possible and who knows what, you know, what's in my future. Um, but you know, that, that obviously mostly relates to her. Uh, you know, I think I also really during this time, you know, I had a lot of struggles with my own, um, identity, uh, with, you know, I think being in it, you know, growing up sort of as an immigrant and, and, and always, you know, as a brown skinned person who uh, grew up in, in the more, you know, Pittsburgh and in a very white neighborhood and always felt sort of like I was on the outside. Um, and so I had 
I always held on to this certain amount of insecurity and feeling like I need to prove my worth um, and prove that I, you know, belong in America and that I am an American, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, going through this experience with her and seeing her as a teenager be so much stronger than I was in my 40s um, and seeing her be so sure of who she was as a teenager uh, really made me realize that I needed to put away all of my, not just my insecurity, but that I needed to stop feeling like I needed to prove my worth, you know, as a woman, mother, American what, you know, brown person, whatever, you, you know, that I could just own who I was. Um, and, um, you know, so I think, and that was obviously huge for me. Um, I had, I had a big change in terms of how I saw, you know, my body, because like many women, I had body issues for many, many years. You know, I spent, um, most of my teens, 20s, and 30s yo-yo dieting. Um, And, you know, in in my 40s, I I actually did stop that. But, you know, always wasn't really fully happy with my body. And when you see, then, you know, when you have a, a daughter who's trans, you realize just why have I been, like, fighting my curves or unhappy with a body that matches my gender identity. I mean, it just becomes ridiculous to have any sort of body issue. <laughs> she wants all those parts that you've been yeah. criticizing. Yes. <laughs> you know, and so it was just finally like, oh, I'm just, this is my body. I'm going to embrace and appreciate my curves and my breasts, whether they sag or not, and my hips or, and my, you know, belly that's, you know, pooching out because I gave birth to three children, you know, all the things that <laughs> define being a woman, you know, like, why am I fighting all the things that define being, you know, a mm. woman? And so that was just such an eye opening, you know, experience. Um, and so I definitely put all that uh, behind me and, and then just becoming, uh, you know, I was doing writing before, before she came out, but then you know, changing what I was writing about and really using my voice as a writer to become more of an activist um, was huge. I've become very involved with the trans community. Um, there's the, um, I mentioned a support group, Transforming Family, that I went to um, in the book. And now I'm a board member for Transforming Family. So my level of activism has definitely is probably at least Uh, 30 times more than it's ever been before, you know, I mean, I consider myself somebody who, you know, generally would consider myself like a feminist and an activist, but I wasn't really doing work that I would consider, you know, real, you know, activism work because there was nothing that I was so passionate about, you know? Um, So it's so many, so many things, you know? Um, Yeah. I mean, I'm a completely different person. I, I feel as if this part of your book I'm going to ask you to read now yeah. uh, kind of captures a change in you, too, uh, towards the end. Will you will you share going to court with us? Oh, sure. Um, so this is, um, 
Okay, so this is uh, on page uh, 199, which is really uh, sort of the last chapter of the book. And it is um, the morning that we're going to Santa Monica Court to change her name. And actually, uh, most of this that I'm going to read is a, is a diary entry from, from that day. Um, this morning, we go to Santa Monica Court to legally change Ava's name and gender. It is a big day. I thought I would be more sad than I'm feeling at this moment, but I'm not. It is an exciting day for my child, and I'm excited for her. And I have already done so much grieving of the past. I think that part of what is hard has been this feeling of not being able to really talk about her past because she is still at the point that she does not want to. Memories are what keep a person alive. When someone dies, you sit around with people who had loved them and knew them. You tell stories to each other and you keep that person alive. Ava hasn't died, but it feels like the old version of her has. It will help when she gets more comfortable with us talking and telling stories about the old her, because then it will be more like you're both actually just the same person. We just didn't know that you were not a boy and neither really did you. In my memoir class at UCLA last night, one of my classmates, Eric, said that if he had to write his six-word memoir, it would be lost son, lost faith, found self. When he said that, I got goosebumps. My breath caught. I don't know how many years it has been since his son died, but Eric seems at peace. Just the found self part implies that he does. I didn't lose a child. In the words of Sibel, I just lost a gender, but my child is physically here. I can hold her every day, and I do. I can smell her every day, even if that smell changes a little or a lot from what it used to be. I can rub my face against her face and neck and arm and feel her, even if that skin feels a little different now with the estrogen. None of my kids' skin feels the way they did when they were newborns. People change either way, and I can hold her hand. I love holding people's hands. I didn't lose a child, but I did lose a gender and a vision for this child that I had when she was growing up. But in life, things don't always go as planned. I can't plan every aspect of my life anymore. I can't control everything. And controlling everything is tiring and takes its toll anyway. Amen to that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was definitely kind of, a control kind of freak a, a Sisyphus thing, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> you can try pushing that boulder up the hill, but it'll just roll down. <laughs> yes. Yes. Is that it, d definitely, you know, letting go of the need to control and plan everything has been huge. Yes. <laughs> and then I, I assume that that just ends up... In, uh, you know, being a blanket over a lot of other things in life. You know, I, I, it's not divisible for me, uh, the change that happened with my wife's illness and death. Uh, it, it affects everything because it changed me, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yes. And so every aspect of my life is different because yes. of that that experience and other experiences like having children period and having grandchildren you know lots of things change us but i think the big things change us more potentially yes i i think this is definitely so far the biggest change that's happened in, in my life you know bigger than um any other 
you know, nothing else has come e even close. Um, and, uh, and it's really taught me to live in the present and take things day by day. And it's, you know, kind of another thing that um, I really learned is to, you know, a lot of times with parents of, you know, trans kids and young adults. And, and I imagine, you know, in the 70s, when you, you know, when you came, came out with your parents, I mean, a lot of it is that, you know, we have fear for our children and what is their future going to be? And are they going to be, you know, are they going to be ostracized? Are they going to be bullied? Are they going to, you know, be as successful? And, and, and so we make a lot of parenting decisions based on on fear of what's going to happen because of the outside world. And I've really had to learn to live day by day in the present and not let fear dictate the way I parent and, and, and let love for her and who's in front of me that day to dictate how I'm going to parent her that day. And as we both know, there's no way to protect people from the world anyhow. Uh, what my parents probably weren't afraid of is what would happen if I denied who I was. That came later, mm -hmm. right? That, that could have been a fearful right. result also. Right. Um, I'm remembering, and this may be a good place to wrap up, that uh, the biggest thing my mother ever gave me was at one point, uh, not that many years ago, she's, she's dead now, she said, you know, my true community is parents of LGBTQ people and their kids. <laughs> so, yes. I think that might be true yeah. of you too. Yes. I want to thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, thank too. you for sharing my book with others. Absolutely. And I hope people go to pariahastori.com to, to um, look further and order the book. Next week, I'll have Malcolm Stern. The impetus for his book, Slay Your Dragons with Compassion, was the suicide of his daughter, Melissa. The skills he had built in his practice as a group therapist took on deeper significance in this most challenging time. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.